economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith and economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith and Economics Podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Nate Johnson, the producer and graduate assistant for the Gortney Institute. Today on our show, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gortney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics. We also have Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics. And finally, Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gortney Professor of Economic Education and Research. All right. Well, on a previous podcast here, we talked about penalties and rules of law and jail sentences, criminal justice reform, all that kind of stuff. And uh, today, Justin, I don't know if it was a, a grim thought or what, but he thought death would be fun to talk about. So today we're going to talk about the death penalty. And uh, Justin, what do you have in mind? Great. So the death penalty is is a divisive issue. And it's one of the things that I love to teach in my ethics class because it's something that students usually have thought about before um, and whether or not they're pro or uh, against the death penalty. And another reason that I like teaching it is regardless of where students come down on it, they usually have really bad arguments for their position. <laughs> so it's always fun to teach something that students uh, are really passionate about and are almost always wrong about. <laughs> Not in the sense that they believe the wrong conclusion, uh, just that their reasoning is usually so muddled that uh, it's fun to have these play out in class. Yeah. So before we talk about whether or not the death penalty is um, morally acceptable or, uh, or even required, one of the things we should get clear on is what about punishment generally? Um, what is the purpose of punishment? Why do we punish? And given what we think about punishment, then we can answer the question of, is, is the death penalty an acceptable punishment? Yeah. So usually the, the two articles that I think are fun to read are, there's an article justifying uh, legal punishment um, by Igor Primorats, and then an article by Nathanson on the death penalty. And uh, maybe we can put those in the show notes for people if they want to take, uh, take a look, but I'll try to summarize what they say pretty, uh, pretty quickly. Uh, the Primorats article is, an article defending punishment, justifying legal punishment. And it says, we can take broadly two different views of punishment. One is a forward-looking view of punishment, and the other is a backward-looking view of punishment. A for And almost all of our theories of punishment can fall into these two camps. So a forward-looking view of punishment says, given that we have the criminal, what should we do to the criminal such that either, you know, uh, you know, they become a functioning member of society. That would be a forward-looking view of punishment. Another forward-looking view of punishment is a view that punishment ought to deter crime, right? And other uh, people, not just that person. Not just that person, but other people, right? It says the point of punishment is to make society better, um, better off in the future, right? Um, so on this view, you know, we might uh, punish a criminal both so that they will be less likely to offend in the future, but also so that other people seeing us punish the criminal make uh, that will make these other people less likely to offend in the future. So right. on, on death penalty, though, it's, it's mostly about the other people deterring other people because that person will be dead if we choose to do it or locked up for life. Let's say the alternative for a real offensive person would be either jail till they're dead or death. And given that those are the two things, we really are deterring other people. 
the death penalty. Issues. Well, actually, the death penalty uh, does a very good job of deterring that person from committing crimes in the future. Exactly. Right? Yes. Um, <laughs> but a lot of people also think we should have the death penalty because it uh, will deter criminal other criminals from killing. Right. If they know that the penalty for killing is death. Right. Yeah. And I um, guess that gets to the retribution thing. Right. Like other people want their form of justice would be you killed my family. You should get killed too. So now you are blending these two theories together, Uh right? So, and this is what I think a lot of people do, right? They, and they think both that, um, that punishment ought to deter people in the future. And what you just said, which is you killed my family, therefore you deserve to die. Right. Mm -hmm. So just to be clear, I'm going to continue spelling out what this forward looking view is because there are a bunch, the view that crime ought, that punishment ought to deter crime, that's a forward-looking view. The view that punishment ought to rehabilitate the criminal, that's a forward-looking view. These are all theories that justify punishment based on what is going to happen after the punishment. Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. And so, and so uh, I just wanted to interject this. This may be too early. But for listeners, especially, we uh, again, Faith and Economics podcast, we might have some uh, pretty devo- devout Christians in here. I think reasonable defenses of the death penalty are made, and they tend to be made in this forward-looking way. We can get to that when Justin describes a little bit more, but uh, I think there is a case to be made for Christians. Okay. So uh, my eye for the eye, you'd call maybe a backward-looking thing? Like, you did something bad, and you deserve this now. Yes. Not to bring it up again, but as far as delineating the two. So Primarats says every single one of these forward-looking theories of punishment we have, they're all wrong. They, that is not what punishment is. Mm. Punishment is a backwards-looking okay. uh, concept. Okay. The point of punishment and the justification for punishment has to do with what the person has done. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good, that's interesting. Yeah, I agree. Once you said it that way, I'm like, well, yeah, it's not punishing that person. We're doing it for other reasons to deter or whatever forward. Yes. And one of the things that can get you in trouble with having a forward looking view of punishment is it, um, if the point of punishment is to deter crime in the future, we actually don't we get need some to... sort of utilitarian thing going, don't we? Well, sacrificial uh, lamb. <laughs> yeah. We kill you for the benefit of future people, whatever. It seems a little bit. If we have you in custody for doing a smash and grab and we want to stop people from smashing and grabbing in the future. And, you know, maybe we can just chop off your hands. And actually, if it's a forward looking view of punishment, we don't even require it doesn't even matter that you're guilty. Right. Uh, It gets the same deterrent effect. Right. Right. Primarat says, look, the point of punishment, it has to be that it inflicts upon the criminal something close to what the criminal has has done against society or a person, right? And um, on this view, uh, there are many crimes for which a prison, t- a prison sentence or um, a fine would be appropriate. But for the taking of somebody's life for murder, the only thing that is fit and just is something that uh, you can, that would match that. And in this case, it has to be death. Um, so Primarats runs through some possible objections to this. He says, you know, while some people say that killing is, uh, that, that killing is immoral, um, 
and that we shouldn't kill. And he says that I, it's perfectly fine for you to say that, but the, the, the one person who can't say that killing is immoral is actually the person who committed murder, right? That, that is a defense that is not open to the murderer, um, mm-hmm. that killing is immoral. Some people also say things like, you know, and you can see this on a bumper sticker sometimes that says like murdering murders to teach that murder is wrong doesn't make any sense, right? <laughs> and the problem with that is that murder is an unjustified killing. So saying that we murder murderers, that isn't quite true. Mm-hmm. If the death right. penalty is acceptable, then it's not murder. It's a justified killing. Yeah. And uh, what makes murder murder is that you're killing somebody who's innocent, right? The murderer explicitly isn't innocent in, in these death penalty cases. So again, Primorat's thesis, just to be clear, is that punishment is necessarily a backwards looking concept and that for some crimes, what the criminal deserves is death based on what they have done. So Primorat's argument makes no appeal to whether or not the death penalty actually does deter crime. And I think this is a strength of Primorat's argument because I think that the data is very, very unclear on whether the death penalty actually does deter things like willful murder. You can go state by state and look at states that do have the death penalty and states that don't have the death penalty. And there isn't a... um, a statistically significant difference in favor of the death penalty reducing murder. You know, like the, you can compare Texas, you know, well, where they will execute anyone. Um, and uh, I think like Vermont, where they have no uh, death penalty. And the, sometimes people make the argument, if the death penalty deterred, then we would see less deaths, less murders in Texas than we do in Vermont. Yeah, per capita, yeah, even adjusting. Yeah, uh, and that's not the case, right? Yeah. And I mean, the retort could be, well, Texans are just generally murderous. You should see how many murders there would be in Texas without the death penalty. But uh, <laughs> that doesn't seem like a very good uh, argument. And Primorats doesn't have to address that argument at all, right? Because he's saying independently of whether or not um, the death penalty uh, deters, it is what the criminal deserves in cases of willful murder. Yeah, and, as far as the punishment. No. Yeah, and the point of... Um, criminal, the point of punishment is to give the criminal what they deserve. And in this case, they deserve death. Um, I I did a quick Google just to put this in perspective. In 2020, there was 17 death row inmates that were executed. And there's been 1,539 men and women, mostly men, of course, since the 1970s. So, you know, out of 300 and some million people, it's a pretty, very, 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 very small fraction of when we impose the death penalty on somebody. If Primorat's conclusion goes further, it's not just that it's okay, it's that we ought to reintroduce it in places where we don't have That's it. That's what I was going to say. Death. Like, we're not really punishing the way he is suggesting it would be. Yeah, he's saying fair punishment. we ought to do it more. So is Primorat, is that the one argument you want to put on the table, or do you have another one as well that you want to put on the table? Oh, you're just ready to shred that one, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, uh, so... <laughs> Primorats is the pro-death penalty, and we'll talk about Nathanson's argument after. Um, so okay. if you have some objections to Primorats, you could voice them now or after Nathanson. I don't care. I'd say voice yeah. them now, and then we could probably go to a break to bring in Nathanson. Maybe might be a good uh, where we're at with this thing. So I think for the most part, right, where we exist right now, I am functionally anti-death penalty. And the reason I'm functionally anti-death penalty is... 
<laughs> well, it means I'm not against it in theory, but okay. I don't okay. think that it makes sense in practice right now. Here is my reason why that, that Primorat probably didn't have to reckon with much in his thinking because he, he's doing a thought experiment. I think that we have, first off, I, I, I believe the death penalty should be, punishment in general, uh, should be more forward-looking than backward-looking. So uh, as a Christian, I believe there is a settler of accounts. I do think we are called to administer a certain amount of justice that is punishment for wrongdoing, backward-looking as Christians. But but I think ultimately, like we know there's going to be a settlement of accounts. So I, I tend to err more on the side of, I'll just let those accounts settle when they settle. So I, I tend not to do to worry too much about this backward-looking thing. And I, I tend to be more interested in the, the forward-looking view of justice, but the reason, so that alone wouldn't be a, a big disagreement. The reason I'm functionally anti-death penalty is I don't think we need the forward-looking thing here in the U.S., at least in today's day and age. It, it won't help, and I can get into that later. And I am worried about the side effects of the death penalty being legal. And so I, I am, I do not trust our governments to competently administer the death penalty. I don't trust them to pick the right people. I don't trust them to not pass laws and use it in a way that will be abusive of power. I think that it puts too much power in the hands of a government that I don't consider worthy of the power. And so my anti-death penalty sentiment is not because I am against punishing people with death who have murdered people, for example. You just want to do it more efficiently. I, 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 just, I just don't think that we can do it the way it should be done. And so I, I'm a, I, if, if I had a yes, no box, I'm checking no in this country at this time. Uh, Peter, I wanted your opinion on that. I just heard this recently that the, the Greek in terms of thou shall not kill is how it's usually translated, but it really could be interpreted as thou shall not murder. Have you heard that? I, I haven't, but it, it's consistent with the rest of the Bible. I yeah. don't think that you can read the Old Testament and say that God is opposed to killing. Uh, God orders killing, but he is opposed to murder. He's opposed to unjust killing. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I, I think that if that's the translation, then that's fully compatible with what the rest of the Bible says. All right. Before we go to break, Justin, did you have any rebut back to Peter on what he said? or And then we'll get into the, the other guy's argument here in the second half. I think everyone agrees <laughs> that Peter's position is insane. Uh, so <laughs> let's get to the Nathan. <laughs> right. Well, that's a wrap, folks. We'll, we'll cut there and uh, our cliffhanger will be shredding Peter's argument in the second half. We'll be back in just a bit. If you enjoy our podcast and want to support our work, please consider a one-time or re- reoccurring donation. Please visit donate.123povertysucks.org. The Gorton Institute at Ottawa University is the best place in the Midwest for students interested in freedom and justice and its impact on human flourishing, faith and economics in action. We have a high school offering now of a course that you can take uh, through Ottawa um, and earn some college credit. So we're looking for some uh, anxious high school students that want to explore some more economics and it's going to be uh, reasonably priced. I don't actually have it priced yet, so contact me later if you want to check that out and earn some college credit. That college credit will be transferable to any other university that your high school student uh, goes to, so um, give me a call if you'd like to get some more information on that. If you want other information about the Gorton Institute or Ottawa University, contact Peter, Justin, or Russ today.
Please visit our website at 123povertysucks.org. There you will find our events, blog, and our swag shop. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 123povertysucks or on Facebook at Gordney Institute for updates on our activities and research. All right, we're back. So before we get into this Nathanson argument from Justin, I want to hear from our Nate about college kids' perspective nowadays. I mean, when I was a college student, I was definitely pro-death penalty. Like, I figured we just don't even do this enough. Like, the whole punishment and whether it's forward-looking, but I, I think there's a lot of, in my in my eyes back then anyway, uh, justifiable eye-for-an-eye stuff that, that doesn't go that way. And then also from a forward-looking perspective, I'd, I'd say... Certainly things have changed for me over time, but I'm curious where the college student head is now. What's your perception of this stuff, Nate, on on college campuses across the nation? I personally think that the death penalty is fine. I I think an eye for eye, what we were talking about earlier. But I didn't watch your personal I know. I'm thinking about, (laughs) I was adding, but I'm saying, but other college students, I think, are are okay with the reforming part. I think they're they're not pro death penalty. I think with where we're at, with as many death penalties we have, I don't think, and I think growing up, we that you said it was only 15 people in 2020, right? Yeah, like yeah that. very few. So it's not even a big conversation, I think, in our age. I think there was more when you guys were growing up, I guess the death penalty maybe was around, like in the news more or maybe talked about a little more because growing up, I, I don't even know any name that's even been on the death penalty thing, yeah, to that's, be honest with you. That's both interesting and troubling. So, I, so I, I if think, I'm hearing you right, I, and I, I, I would tend to agree with you, me being yeah. around college kids all the time, that they're probably a little more on this performing part, right? Yeah, like, because we, we just have to really fix heard people. About death penalty is not really a thing. Like jail will fix people. And when you murder someone, you go to jail for a long time and you fix it out. Because for me personally, I don't know anyone who's been on the death penalty. Like there's a couple names, but <laughs> I guess the, for a whole college population, I would think that that's how it would be looked at. Yeah, I could buy that. So I guess uh, real quick before I jump into Nathanson, I wanted to raise a couple more objections that Primarath raises and, and, and attempts to meet. Um, so the first one is, you know, sometimes people say it's cruel um, that the death penalty takes so long to administer. Often people serve 17 years in prison before they're executed. So they spend a long time on death row. Yeah. And um, Primarat says that's not an argument against the death penalty. That's an argument against how we're implementing the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and then he, you know, he also says uh, sometimes people also complain that it is administered in ways that are unfair in the sense that it seems like poorer people face the death penalty more than rich people do. Um, You know, rich people don't, as a rule, face the death penalty. And he says, again, that is arguing against the the current way we administer the death penalty, not the death penalty explicitly. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, Primarat says, you know, if, if this is really these people's argument, then they should be happy if I say, great, I'm just going to reform the death penalty and we'll, we'll kill these people in the courtroom right after the guilty verdict <laughs> or whatever, right? Yeah, up uh, to the, just like the old days from the courtroom, if there was one, up to the henchmen. So. Yeah, so, and this usually doesn't appease people. So this is another one of those examples where people are raising objections that aren't really their objection. Um, mm-hmm. What they don't like is the death penalty. Um, if they say it's racist, uh, because oftentimes... It, it isn't administered fairly along racial lines to telling these people, oh, well, well, we will execute more people in these under in these groups that are underrepresented <laughs> in the death penalty. That usually doesn't uh, make these people happy either. Right. Yeah. So what these people want is an argument against the death penalty simpliciter. Um, 
And so now is probably a good time to bring up Nathanson because I think Nathanson might provide one. So Nathanson's article is titled An Eye for an Eye, with the question mark at the end of it. And he notes that the uh, principle of an eye for an eye, or it's Latin, is lex talionis. Um, I think it comes from uh, all the way back to like Hammurabi's code. Um, And we all know the principle of an eye for an eye um, is that what you do to somebody is done back to you, right? And when we think of the principle of an eye for an eye, I think nowadays we think that it sounds kind of brutal and strict, right? But that's actually not the case historically. When it was instituted, it was instituted as a way of restricting the amount of punishment that you could inflict on somebody who committed a crime. Mm. And saying you can only take out an eye for somebody who's taken oh, out yeah, an eye. Oh, yeah, it was an upper bound. Though. Yeah, and because yeah. Uh, previously to this also, you could. Uh, it was commonplace, and this is still done in some places, to punish like generations of people for something that right. uh, you know their ancestor had done, right? So... Um, as a rule, the eye for an eye principle was what we would call a liberal uh, in the sense that it restricted the amount of punishment that was being meted out for crimes. And Peter, have something to say here? Yeah, I, I just want to interject here, Justin. That's a great point. I'm glad you brought that off up. Oftentimes people will say that the Bible is contradictory in that like Jesus says, you've heard it said an eye for an eye, but I tell you, and then he goes on to basically uh, say, forgive your enemies, things like this. Uh, and people point out, well, an eye for an eye is in the Old Testament of the Bible. So here's Jesus saying that God is wrong. It's like, no, again, you have to consider the context. An eye for an eye when God instituted the rule, like Justin was saying, was a limiter. And so there's no contradiction going on here. It's a, a continuation of the logic. So yeah, go ahead, Justin. I just wanted to. Oh, to yeah, I see what there. you're saying that. It's, yeah. it's going this direction. Progress yeah, on God, trajectory. God, yeah. God was saying, stop ripping people's heads off for taking your eye out. That's what God was saying. He wasn't saying the proper punishment is to pluck out someone's eye for it. So go ahead, Justin. Great. And Nathanson in his article says, a lot of the justification for the death penalty turns on people saying, well, lex talionis, this eye for an eye, is the correct theory of punishment. And this eye for an eye gives us a very clear answer for what we ought to do in cases of murder. And that is kill, right? Um, Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And this is exactly what Primarat said, right? Primarat said, in the case of willful murder, uh, we know that what the criminal deserves is uh, what they did. It's killing. Therefore, um, they ought to be killed. But Primrat says, look, it's just the, the problem with this is that Lex Talionis, that's eye for an eye principle, we actually have given that up almost across the board. As a punishment, as a, as a theory of punishment, it just doesn't work for most crimes. And Primrat said this too, right? He said, in most cases, a prison term or a fine will work. Um, but in the case of murder, only murder will, will work. And what Nathanson says is, look, this is, if your argument is Lex Talionis is correct and Lex Talionis recommends mur- recommends killing in the case of murder, um, that would be one thing. But it seems like everybody admits that an eye for an eye doesn't work generally. So why should we actually implement this in the case of murder? You can think of crimes like drunk driving. What do we do to a drunk driver? I mean, what would an eye for an eye recommend that we do to drunk drivers? Like put somebody, get somebody else drunk and let, let them out on the road when the drunk driver is driving safely. Uh, or like, what would we do to, um, 
you know, what would we punish somebody with who was convicted of like espionage? Okay, so let, let's stick with that drunk driver for a sec. So then the, we, the reason we do it is very forward looking um, with, with whatever punishment comes about, assuming the person just got pulled over and didn't get into a car wreck and hurt somebody, kill somebody, whatever. If they just got pulled over, they had had too much to drink, kind of a victimless crime, I guess, at that point, right? If we want to get into that language. And um, so now it's a very forward looking punishment. We don't want you to drink and drive in the future. So here's a $4,000 fine and you lose your license for a year. Uh, I think drunk driving for reasons you brought up is not going to be, I, I wish I hadn't used that example. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> if we describe it as a victimless crime, like we're going to get, we're going to go down a rabbit hole on that. Okay. Uh, right. So instead let's, I mean, what about like uh, libel, right? Okay. Uh, what would Lex Talionis recommend the, uh, you know, for libel, right? They get libeled. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, um, so the Nathanson's point is that, an eye for an eye actually doesn't make sense in the vast majority of cases, right? So basically we should reserve it for only killing? No, Nathanson says <laughs> that's why, since it doesn't make sense in all these other cases, we actually shouldn't be using this reasoning in cases of murder. Mm-hmm. Nathanson says, I agree with Prima Rats that punishment is a backwards looking concept. It's just what we want is what he calls proportional retributivism. Yeah. Now, what this means is, look, we we want to rank crimes from least heinous to most heinous, right? Which we kind of do, right? Yeah. In terms of jail time and other things. And we want to rank punishments in terms of uh, least heinous to most heinous. Okay. And what we want is the most heinous crimes to receive the most hein- the most heinous punishments. Does that make sense? I mean, in principle, for now, but it does make it does make sense. Yeah. Now, note that Lex Talionis, an eye for an eye, also fits this, right? Does that make sense? Roughly, Lex Talionis is a form of proportional retributivism. Yeah, but Lex Talionis isn't the only form of uh, proportional retributivism. And Nathanson's contention is what truth there is in Lex Talionis just is proportional retributivism. We think light crimes merit light punishments and heinous crimes merit heavy punishments. What the bookends of that are, that's up for debate. What yeah. the lightest crime ought, uh, what the lightest punishment ought to be and what the most, what the most punitive punishment ought to be. Mm-hmm. That is where we have the debate. Peter? So is there any reason why Nathanson argues that we should like maybe be focused on like a, a more narrow set of bookends, like murder gets the worst punishment, which is less than murder rather than consider like another proportional punishment system is if you murder someone, you're tur- tortured for 40 years and then, you know, we kill you. And then like, you know, theft retru- gets just like the torturous murder. And I don't know, maybe jaywalking gets you a lifetime sentence. Like that's, this is also like rank order proportional. So Perfect. is there any reason for a, a system of proportionality that's argued here? Yes. So what he's getting at first is that this is a very broad claim that light crimes merit light punishments and heavy crimes merit heavy punishments, right? And what I think you're bringing up, and it is correct, is that an eye for an eye, not only is an eye for an eye uh, this kind of punishment that also fits proportional retributivism, but a theory where we punish light crimes with death and heavy crimes with torture, that also might be proportional retributivism. Does that make sense? And is that what you're getting at? Yeah, uh, another rule could be an eye for two eyes, and this would also be a, a proportional system. And like you know, 
one finger for two. You know? Yes. And what also would be a propor- uh, proportional retributivism, according to this very, very broad uh, theory, is that you know jaywalking is a fine of one cent and murder is a fine of 77 cents and uh, everything else in between is between one cent and 77 yeah. cents. Right? Sure. Yep. Yep. Great. Um, so what Nathanson says is, look, what we actually need to have the argument about is what these bookends are. Does that make sense? Uh-huh. And then everything else falls in place. Yeah. Well, there's still going to be a little debate, but you know. So this is the claim that, uh, and Nathanson says, look, since we've done this, we have kind of defanged the eye for an eye argument for the death penalty. Because now what we have an argument for is proportional retributivism. And that doesn't tell us that we ought to execute criminals. It just tells us that the punish- that we ought to execute murderers. It just tells us that the punishment for murder ought to be heavier than the punishment for um, theft. Does that make sense? Uh, barely for me. I don't know. I'm struggling a little bit, but that's not unusual. My thought is the when I think of the value of the crime uh, and the harm done, like a life has an infinite value. And so I'm still back to this eye for an eye. Like if, if, if you took a life, the only way to do the, uh, the right retribution is your life. Yeah. And uh, look, that's is in that line with okay? proportional okay. retributivism, okay. right? Okay. Uh, yeah. So what you are saying is, look, I still want to argue for this bookend that uh, murder, yeah. uh, okay. what the murderer deserves is death, right? Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, all right. So, Peter. all right. So, so, oh, did you have something to continue on, Justin? I'm going to kind of make my argument, but go, uh, go ahead. No, no, I want to hear yours. Go ahead. Okay. So, the argument that I would make is something like this. Um, and this is an argument that Primaretz raises and an objection that he attempts to meet. The, uh, and I've saved this objection for last. It's that sometimes justice. You know, people get exonerated off of death row, death row, right? Russ was just mentioning a case that happened in Kansas City where um, somebody who was on death row, they uh, get released because new evidence has come to light. Something like um, the Innocence Project, which uh, uses DNA evidence in cases where DNA evidence wasn't available at the time, has exonerated people off of death row. And they've actually exonerated people uh, posthumously, too. Um, and uh, there's a problem with exonerating somebody posthumously. Right? <laughs> yeah, I see Which, that. Uh, is what? Well, they're dead already, right? right. We've already killed them. Yeah. Now, when we get exonerated for for a crime, there's one one thing that we can do is sue the state for uh, for damages, right? Uh, it will never give you back what the state has taken from you, which is your time. The state can't give you more time, but you can at least get some money out of them, right? Now, the death penalty is unique in the sense that it, if you are exonerated afterwards, yeah. you cannot be made even partially whole again, right? Mm-hmm. And so since the state is fallible when they implement the death penalty, in my opinion, have not shown that they could administer it correctly, Yeah, that ought to count in favor of abolishing it. So I've said that Peter's position earlier that he's functionally against the death penalty uh, was crazy. And I meant that it is crazy. But that's also the reason I think it's crazy is because uh, I think it's my position, too. And everybody tells me that I'm crazy when I try to articulate it. So I do think here's what I think. I think that some people deserve to die. I also think that the state is incapable of giving people what they deserve. 
<laughs> so I object to this argument in this premise in Primaratz's argument, which is that the purpose of punishment is to give people what they deserve. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, if they're incapable of that. Yeah. Okay. I want, I was wondering if you have a friendly amendment to your thing, if somebody confessed to being that murderer. So then it's kind of more voluntary, like, yep, I did it. I'm sorry. And I know the, 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 the penalty for this is death and so be it. Are you okay with the death penalty then? No. And I'll tell you why, uh, because <laughs> I think that you can come across cases where these confessions seem extorted or Forced, manipulated, manipulated. Uh, a lot of people on death row have very, very low IQs, and it might be very easy to manipulate somebody like that into making that kind of claim. If you watch the series, like a making, making yeah. a murderer, um, that seems like an example where somebody seems like a confession was coerced and manipulated. Yeah, right. So I agree with Primarats that some people deserve to die, right? I don't think, and I think Peter was saying this too, I don't think that the mm-hmm. state that the purpose of punishment is to give people what they deserve. I actually think that the death penalty gives a lot of the people who have been executed for the death penalty, the ones who are guilty, I think it's actually quite lenient given what some of these people have done. People who get the death penalty usually killed multiple people. Right. Oftentimes they torture people. You know, I'm not going to say out loud on the podcast what I think people who, for instance, like harm children deserve, but I think the state administered death penalty worse than a 17 year waiting to die. Yeah. Um, so I agree with Peter that, uh, you know, I am against the death penalty and functionally against it. I don't think that the state can administer it correctly. And I also don't think that uh, the purpose of uh, the state's punishment is to give people what they deserve. And Peter mentioned uh, something about, a, uh, you know, there being a, you know, a final accounting uh, maybe that's when you get what you what you deserve, and uh, the purpose of punishment uh, isn't isn't that. Yeah, and I think that's where I, I started off as a young person. I thought death penalty for sure, but as I've I've become wiser over time, your guys' arguments that the state probably can't do that real effectively, and there's too many cases of blundered things and whatnot. Peter, and and I'll say too, I I, I do want to bring up, I mentioned it before, but we've got Matthew 5, 38 through, uh, it's really this whole section, 38 and on, but just a couple verses and part of a verse I'll read. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek to them also. Um, sometimes people will like explain away this verse with like cultural context or things like that. There's a lot of verses like this in the New Testament where Jesus basically is saying, uh, have mercy. That shouldn't be surprising surprising to us, given what Jesus's mission on earth was, which is that like, I'm here to give some people a chance to get something that they don't deserve, which is like mercy. And so I actually do believe that there is something virtuous about showing to mercy, showing mercy to someone who doesn't deserve it. And so this is another reason I'm skeptical about the death penalty, because our example from God that we've been shown is like, here's a way to be forgiven and for someone else to take a punishment for you that you don't deserve. And so I like I think the ability for that to reflect on our lives is valuable and we shouldn't say that it's wrong necessarily to show mercy to someone who's done a wrong thing. So I, I think for that reason, I'm also skeptical of the death penalty. I will say, and here, here's my one Christian defense of like a, a, what I'll say like a practical use death penalty would be, which is like you might read that verse and say then, well, certainly Christians can't be pro-death penalty. I don't think that's quite right. I think punishment still does serve a valuable forward-looking function. I think that, for example, if you are in a country where people have 
people are an imminent threat of escaping from prison. It's like the prison system is not very good. People escape frequently and they're known to be violent criminals. I think this is an arguable case for something like the death penalty. Like if you're, if your country cannot keep a dangerous criminal behind bars and there's a lot of evidence suggesting they're a dangerous criminal, the state might still make some mistakes. And I, I still fear those mistakes. And this is certainly not the case that we face in the U S because we can put everybody actually cheaper in prison for life, then we can kill them. And so to me, it doesn't apply to us today, but there are certain situations, I think, where the death penalty can serve that role of minimizing harm uh, that someone could cause in the future. And I think a person committing a crime, they open themselves up for analysis into the future. Uh, I think that it's fair to say, well, this person killed five people, Uh, maybe they'll kill more, and we don't have a prison that can hold them. Uh, I think this really is the case, like warlords in certain countries or something like that. I don't know. I find that last argument troubling, Peter. <laughs> I I can't think that we live in an either or world like, OK, our, our jail system's terrible. Everybody who gets put in easily breaks out or we got to kill them. Um, I th- I, uh, I'd like to think there's that that's not really a fair characterization. And if you feel mercy on the way you described it, which I, I tend to agree with that, you can't all of a sudden choose the death penalty under well, those set of worldly circumstances. I think I think it works in the same way that like I can be anti-death penalty and pro shooting a person with the gun who's shooting people, right? Like if someone is in a mall, I believe shooting people, I believe that person deserves the death penalty then and there. Like that that's the response to their actions. And so now if you have what if you have someone who shoots three people gets caught, escapes prison, does it again, gets caught, escapes prison, does it again. To me, this is one long mass shooting spree. And it's okay to shoot that person at some point when you catch them. That That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that it's like a first best. I think it's very rare. But in the same way that it's okay to stop someone who's actively killing people, it's okay to stop someone who is actively on a murdering spree, and they just occasionally get caught and escape prison. It, I don't think it's realistic. Like, I don't think it matches anywhere in our world right now very well, but it's imaginable at least. I, I just couldn't help but think still, can the state effectively do that versus your killing spree person? A private person shouldn't be penalized for going out and, you know, killing that person. Um, but I'm still not sure it holds water for me that the state can effectively do that. Kind of, kind of like so a police officer. I want to hear what the philosopher has to say about this one. So, so I, Russ, I, I agree with you. I, I'd be very skeptical to ever push the button on implementing something like this. And I, I don't think the circumstances are realistic or it could happen often. But again, in the, the mass shooting situation, I'm okay with a police officer who's an agent of the state taking down a mass shooter too. And so, sure. like, it's to, to me, it in, is a matter of the heat of the moment or in the yeah, action. Yeah. Uh, or if, you know, they're on the way to the next mall or something like that, right? Like, I, I, I think that there are circumstances where you can reasonably say, no, this person's going to kill again. I think it's rare. I don't think it applies to the US or most countries in the world. I think it's possible. Because you seem to be making a distinction there between police death penalties shot by the state versus you're in front of a judge, you get told that you're going to be put to death. Those to me are two separate buckets. Uh, Again, we're imagining a country where going to jail means the next day you leave the jail and you start shooting people again. Okay. Again, it's not likely, but it's at least imaginable. And in that case, I am okay with a forward-looking death penalty if there is a high chance of a person escaping and a high chance of them killing again. I think that this is an acceptable thing. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it seems like what you're describing is this is a country that really doesn't have a criminal justice system, right? Um, yeah, true. And uh, so the Nathanson article that I described, uh, you know, where he's talking about proportional retributivism, he doesn't make that move that I made uh, with um, the state uh, not being able to kill. His argument is that uh, nobody actually deserves to die. So he is arguing uh, for the... Uh, the end point for that most heinous punishment to say it has to be something less than death because we owe even the most heinous of criminals. Uh, we, we are not, they are not do, they don't deserve to die. And that's the step in his argument that I don't buy. Yeah. You're uh, saying they deserve to die, but the state's incapable of. Yeah. So what uh, the reason I think my position um, is plausible is that I can agree that some people deserve to die. And that seems to me very plausible and what a lot of advocates for the death penalty say. Yeah. Um, I agree some people deserve to die. Um, and uh, I, what I don't agree with is that the state is, uh, the job of the state is to give people what they deserve or even that the state is capable of giving people what they deserve. Um, and and, and I, I, I do want to amend. So like, I, I, I don't think that these verses in the Bible say that that's necessarily wrong. I think just like in Christianity, you can have a just war theory. We can probably imagine like a, a just death penalty uh, sort of theory too. I, th I think I, my, my point there was just that there is an advantage or there is goodness found in mercy. And sometimes that that can be exercised, but not that yeah. anytime you don't exercise mercy is wrong. That's not the flip side of it. So can continue, Justin. Sorry, I just wanted to make clear I'm not disagreeing with you. Well, and I think what we've been beating around is the idea of a type one error versus type two error. So type one error being killing someone who's actually turns out to be innocent versus not killing someone who turns out to be guilty. And, and because there's actual probabilities that we don't like to think about, or like when I was a younger person, I thought with certainty, we knew that they killed somebody or whatever, that we, we can, that it would be just to kill them. You're just acknowledging that, yeah, there's people out there that, that uh, uh, should be killed, but we can't take that risk that we might be killing somebody who's actually innocent. Yeah. Well, here's why nobody likes my position right? <laughs> because uh, on the one hand, um, a lot of people who are anti-death penalty really do maintain that nobody deserves to be killed, right? Um, yeah. And I disagree with that. Right. Um, and so the people who are pro-death penalty don't like it because the conclusion is that it's anti-death penalty, yeah. right? But the people who are anti-death penalty usually don't like it because it a bunch of the work in the argument is done by this empirical premise that we actually have killed and they don't continue like to hear to that there's people. a fallible state. <laughs> uh, that the government is incapable of doing this, right? So yeah. if the government were capable of it, maybe this is also what Peter's getting at, that um, that we could have, uh, even somebody who had my principles could agree to a death penalty yeah. if it turned out that the state was capable of doing this. I mean, we might have a priori reasons for thinking that a state isn't going to be capable of it, but um, my argument turns on the fact that uh, empirically, we just know that the state hasn't done a good job about this. So we are going to take away uh, this uh, thing. And I guess we could push it even further. Empirically, we have that the, the state will continue to grab more and more ground of going to 
communist China, Hitler, Germany, whatever, that that they can go that direction with it too, which is something yeah, we haven't really talked I, about. But I, I agree, Russ. I think that's a really important point to make because uh, you know, oftentimes the death penalty is administered for high crimes of treason and things like that. Yeah. Political protests and treason are, are not that far apart from each other, right? Like the, these yeah. are things that like you can call one of them, you can call something like, oh, this is treason or, or this is a, a protest. And it's very easy and tempting for the state to define those things as the same in situations where the protests oppose them. So yeah, right. I'm with you entirely. There, there's a huge danger there. All right. Well, this looks like a good place to wrap. That was uh, that went longer than I thought, and uh, but I thought it was good. So uh, this has been a production of the Wharton Institute here at Ottawa University. I'd like to thank you all for listening. Uh, if you like what you hear, send an email to a friend or give us a five-star rating on your favorite social media source. Other than that, be fruitful multiply. Thanks.